Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Northridge Church. It is so good to be with each and every one of you. Shout out to our campuses. Welcome to the family. Welcome home. And we're honored to have you here this morning. And, you know, speaking of family, we have some, you know, exciting family news. Um, maybe your campus pastor mentioned it. But uh, next weekend, we begin the soft launches for our Brighton campus. They're going to happen at Rochester out in the gym. And so if you're a part of the Brighton campus, 945 in the gym. We're going to begin the journey of uh, unrolling that campus out. November 5th is the grand opening. And this is something that as a church we have uh, prayed for, we've believed God for, we've sacrificed for, and it's just amazing to see how God has slowly worked through the pieces. And so thank you for each and every one of you, the part that you played. And we're believing God has big things in store for our Brighton campus. Another missional outpost in the Rochester area where we as a church get to saturate Rochester with the greatest news in history, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so thanks for being a part of that. If you got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to be this morning. And here's what I'd encourage you to do, two things. I'd encourage you to go to Matthew 18, grab your device, your physical Bible, and turn there. But as well, I would challenge you to uh, jump into the Northridge Church app. Um, this is a great place where you can take notes because today as we talk Talk about relationships. This is something that we're going to need to come back to throughout the course of all of our relationships. And so um, as you get settled in Matthew 18 in the Northridge Church app, let me, let me ask you this. If you think about your relationships, right, you, you go back in the past and you, you think about the relationships that you've had that failed or the relationships that you have right now that don't seem to be going the right way, they're, they're, they're failing. If I were to ask you, if I were to sit down and ask you, uh, hey, if you could sum it up in one reason why those relationships failed, what would you say? Now, I would assume that if I, I did literally sit down with you, the, the answers would be vast. There would be a variety of different things. Some of you say, well, my relationships failed because just all the lies. Right? My friends or my coworkers or my spouse just continues to lie to me and, and I don't, just don't trust anybody anymore. Some of you would say it's betrayal or jealousy or broken promises or selfishness or adultery or the stress of life and finances or gossip or neglect. And honestly, the list goes on and on. We, we all probably would label different things that, that have caused our relationships to fail. But as I've studied relationships and conflict in them, what I've, I've found to be true is one of the greatest culprits of broken relationships is a lack of forgiveness. You see, many relationships are destroyed because they lack true, genuine, biblical forgiveness. Right? We, we've been talking about this for the last couple weeks. In this series, my relationships are falling apart and we, we, we've navigated relationships, right? And one of the major things that we focused in on, we zoomed in on, is conflict in our relationships. How do we respond to it? How do we navigate it? How do we handle it God's way? And what I know is if there's conflict in our relationships, which every relationship has conflict, guess what there needs to be? Forgiveness. But what does the Bible say about forgiveness? Well, that's where we pick up Matthew chapter 18. We're gonna start in verse 21. It says this, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? 
So here we, we, we see Matthew 18, and before we dive too deep in Matthew 18, I just want to kind of give you a little bit of information for us to, to understand it fully. So Peter, who is coming to Jesus, Peter is one of the 12 disciples, so he's a real close friend to Jesus, and not only is he a part of the, the 12 disciples, he's part of the inner three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, these are Jesus' closest friends, right? These are his dudes, his guys, and so Peter comes to his friend, his rabbi, his teacher, who happens to be the son of God, all-knowing, and he asks him a pretty practical question, Jesus, how much should I forgive? And what's interesting about Peter's question is he almost answers it for himself. He says, up to seven times, and he had to feel really good about that answer, because according to Judaism, it was three times. You gave someone three chances. And so Peter doesn't just double it. He doubles it and adds one. And he comes to Jesus as a, like a really good religious boy, right? Like up to seven times, Jesus, right? Isn't that a good answer? And, and the question that he asks is one we ask. It translates thousands of years. Because how often in our relationships are we asking the same things? Like, should I forgive this person? Do I need to forgive this person? Like, what are the things in life that aren't forgivable? Right? Do I always have to forgive or, or doesn't someone have to like prove to me that they're worth forgiving? Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Well, Jesus answers, Peter. He says, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now this answer had to catch Peter off guard because he felt really good about his answer. He felt really good about seven times. That was double plus one, the traditional answer. And yet Jesus blows him out of the water. He says, no, not seven, but 77 times. And if you're trying to do the math there, like you've missed the point. Here's what Jesus is trying to teach his friend and us. That Jesus gives no excuse for a lack of forgiveness. Let me say it again so we hear it very clearly. Jesus gives us absolutely no excuse not to forgive. Or let me say it a little bit differently. Jesus says there is no act or choice that a person can make towards us that we should not choose to forgive. Now immediately you like feel the tension, right? Because some of you are like, hold the phone, Drew. Like, okay, I get it. Most things we're supposed to forgive, but you have no clue what somebody did to me. You have no clue, Drew. Jesus doesn't get it. He doesn't get what I've walked through. He doesn't understand the pain that I've had to navigate. You don't understand. I've literally, that, that person ruined my life. And I'm barely picking up the pieces. And you're telling me I'm supposed to forgive them? You don't get it. And I will be real. I, I don't. Get it. I don't understand your hurt and your pain. I don't understand the circumstances and I am incredibly sorry that somebody did that to you. But what I do know is despite the pain and the hurdles you've had to jump through, Jesus calls us to forgive. And at some level, I think forgiveness is so hard because we don't fully understand what Jesus is asking of us. I don't think we get forgiveness from not, not human perspective, but from God's perspective. What is forgiveness? Well, the first thing you have to understand about forgiveness is forgiveness is unfair. Not the news you probably wanted to hear this morning, but I would rather tell you the truth than sell you a lie. 
Forgiveness at its core is unfair. And the reason why it's unfair is because most of the time the person who is hurt carries the weight and the responsibility of forgiving. And that is unfair. But here's what I know about that word fair because my dad told me it over and over again. I can hear his voice as a teenager, right? My dad looking at me and he would say, Drew, life isn't fair. But he wouldn't stop there. He would say, Drew, life isn't fair and you don't want it to be. And the reality is, is when it comes to fairness in our relationships, the last thing we want is fairness in our relationship with God. We don't want God to treat us fairly because we won't like the results. Forgiveness is unfair, and here's why it's unfair. Because forgiveness means that you absorb the pain that they deserve. Means you take on the weight and the hurt and the pain that you wish they could get a taste of. You absorb it, and it makes it incredibly difficult. But that's exactly what Jesus did for us. That's exactly what Jesus did for you and me. In fact, Paul says it like this. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And it's really, really easy to read a Bible verse and not understand the gravity of what it's saying. You see, that verse, Paul is saying that God, God the Father, made his one and only son, Jesus, who was perfect, who was flawless, who never did a wrong. He actually, he made him become wrong. He made him experience the very thing he never experienced. He wore the sin and the shame of you and I. You see, many of us, when we celebrate the cross, we look at the cross and we watch movies like The Passion, we're like, man, what a horrible experience for Jesus to suffer like that physically. The crown of thorns, the blood pouring down his body, the nails through his hands and his feet. Man, that's horrible. The whippings and the beating. Can I tell you, that didn't compare to Jesus wearing our sin on his shoulders. When Jesus was carrying the the weight of every sin, past, present, and future, of mankind, the guilt and the shame on his shoulders, something he had never experienced, it was so bad, he wondered, he cried out to his dad, why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me? What did he do? He absorbed the pain that we deserved, and he forgave, because forgiveness is unfair. The second thing forgiveness is, is forgiveness isn't ignoring the wrong. See, I think we make one fundamental problem when it comes to our our definition of forgiveness. We believe that if we forgive somebody, we have to look past the wrong that they did. We have to excuse it. Like just forget it actually happened. Pretend like it maybe never happened. No, that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness looks the wrong in the eye and names it and addresses it. In fact, you can forgive and still take wise and practical steps. You can forgive and not go back to that hurt. You can forgive and not stay in that relationship. You can forgive and not trust that person again. You can forgive and find safety. Because forgiveness is not some way where we just, oh, that that never happened. No, we, we name the wrong. We address the wrong. But even though we know the wrong exists, three, forgiveness is choosing not to get even. Forgiveness is saying, I'm I'm no longer going to hold this 
against you. I'm not gonna get even. I'm not gonna seek revenge towards it. When you want revenge, what you give is mercy. Because mercy is, is someone not getting the punishment that they deserve. In fact, there's a really good book out there called Good and Angry. It's written by David Powelson, and look what he says about forgiveness. He says, forgiveness also looks wrong in the eye. By definition, it names wrong for what it is, and it feels the sting. Then it consciously acts unfairly in return. Anger is all about fairness, how accurate or distorted our perceptions of fairness might be. But forgiveness is mercifully unfair. You choose not to give back what only seems fair, just, equitable, or reasonable. You see, what I've seen in relationships so many times is when someone chooses not to forgive, what they often do is rather than forgiving, they use that hurt and that pain as a weapon against somebody else, usually the person who hurt them. They constantly bring that pain and that hurt back up to win every argument. You did this to me, therefore you must pay. And they hold people hostage in their lack of forgiveness and they think they're getting revenge, but ultimately they're just hurting the relationship. Because when it comes to forgiveness, it's choosing not to get even, and ultimately what it's doing is it's canceling a debt that was owed to you. Forgiveness is you saying, hey, you owe me something, but I am canceling that debt. And here's the reality, you can forgive someone, and they never have to ask for your forgiveness. You can forgive someone who never seeks your forgiveness. You can do it all in your own heart. Look what David Powelson says. He says, forgiveness does not ignore what's wrong. It does not excuse what's wrong. It does not pretend that the person didn't really mean it. Instead, recognizing that a debt is owed, it forgives the debt. Because forgiveness is unfair. And it's unfair because usually the person who is hurt has to absorb the pain. And, and, and despite that, we, we still name what is wrong. We don't ignore it. We don't pretend like it didn't happen. But we cancel the debt anyway. We choose not to get even. And I get it, right? All this stuff, it, it still feels crazy. Like, honestly, is this really how Jesus wants us to live? It's like upside down. And doesn't this set me up to just be walked all over and over and over again, to be hurt constantly? These are questions we all ask. I'm sure when Peter, Jesus said to Peter 77 times, he was like, what, Jesus? Seriously, Jesus? And so to bring clarity, Jesus tells a story. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man owed him, listen to this, 10,000 bags of gold. That's ridiculous. Who gave him that mortgage? That's what I want to know. 10,000 bags of gold. It was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Think about that. How crazy that is. That's how big of a debt it was. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Okay, so there's this king who is owed 10,000 bags of gold. 
Think about how much money that is. That's a lot of money in our culture. Think about that culture back then. They didn't even have inflation yet, right? Like that's a huge amount of money. And he begs him like, like hey, just I'll pay it back. Just give me time. And here's what's fascinating to me. It says the king took pity on him. And he didn't have pity enough like where he said, okay, we'll, we'll figure out a payment plan for you to pay this back. He wasn't like, okay, we'll just mortgage this out throughout the rest of your life until you pay this back. No, he took pity on him and he canceled the debt. Yeah, how amazing that must have felt. Can you imagine if your mortgage company sent you a letter in the mail and said, hey, good news, you don't have to make any more payments. Your debt has been canceled. You know what we'd call that today? A scam. <laughs> no way you're believing that because that stuff doesn't happen anymore. And that's what that king does to this guy. Can you imagine how he must have felt the burden that was lifted off his shoulders? Like, I, I am free. But the story doesn't end there, right? Jesus is just giving Peter and us a picture of what forgiveness looks like. This is the model. This is what we're chasing after. But unfortunately, the story continues. It says, but when that servant who was forgiven went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and, and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. This is hard to believe, isn't it? Like how could a guy act this way? How in the world, you, you've been forgiven 10,000 bags of gold and you're gonna hold somebody over 100 silver coins? Like seriously? What is wrong with you? And what Jesus does is he gives Peter and us a picture. This is what forgiveness looks like. This is what unforgiveness looks like. And he ultimately leaves us with the question, which person are you in the story? Which person are you today in your relationships? Are you the king who is forgiving, who's willing to cancel debts? Or are you the guy who holds on to bitterness and anger and unforgiveness? Which person are you? Maybe a better question is, which person do you want to be? But the story still wasn't over. Verse 32, it says, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had the same mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. So the king hears news of this. He's like, what? He's probably, I believe, like, well, how could you do this to somebody else when I forgave you? This makes no sense. And so the king's like, you know what? Forget you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw you in jail until you can pay back what you owed. And I've always wondered this. And maybe you've wondered this. As I read this story, I'm like, wait, this, this doesn't make any sense. Why doesn't the king forgive the servant again? Right? Doesn't Jesus say forgive 77 times? This feels like just the second time. Like, what happened? Jesus, are you, are you going against your own teaching? Like, how, how do you justify this? But Jesus, here's the point Jesus is trying to get at. In his last words, look how he finishes the story. He says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Think about how potent those words are. You don't forgive, God won't forgive you. 
You see, when you don't forgive, when you live in a way where you, you don't act in forgiveness, you have denied, you deny God's forgiveness for you. When you live in a posture where you are unforgiving towards people who have hurt you, you basically become the roadblock of your own forgiveness from God's sake. Because at the core of, of salvation is forgiveness. And forgiveness is ultimately the evidence of your salvation, knowing that you've been forgiven by God out of the overflow. You will forgive others. Can you really know Christ and live in an unforgiving way, knowing how great the cost Jesus paid to forgive you? And I get it, this is, this is daunting. Because even in our relationships right now, I would bet many of us have a place of unforgiveness. We have a hurt, a trauma in our life that we've been holding onto so tightly, so full of anger and bitterness, and we've honestly just chosen not to forgive. For some of you, you haven't thought about that until today. It's been that long. You've tried to forget it, but God hasn't. How do we forgive? Honestly, in the midst of all the pain and the hurt that is in our relationships and in the sting that we feel every day from someone who hurt us, how do I get to a place where I forgive them? Well, can I tell you the truth? You'll never be forgiving until you first understand you've already been forgiven. You will never be a forgiving person until you first see how much God has forgiven you and the extent that he went to forgive you. Because here at Northridge Church, we love the gospel. It's the greatest story in history. It's the story of Jesus leaving heaven, coming to earth to rescue us from ourselves, from our sin, to die on a cross and be resurrected so that we could be forgiven. We celebrate it. And at the core of the gospel, the greatest story in history is forgiveness. Because the Bible teaches each and every one of us that we're sinners and our sin has rebelled against God. It's broken the relationship. That our sin abuses God and we continue to live in it. We continue to abuse God. And how does he respond? He forgives us. That our sin put him on a cross. And yet what did he do? He absorbed the pain of our shame and our guilt and he wore it on his shoulders. It was unfair to Jesus. And yet he still canceled our debt anyway. And to show you the gravity of God's forgiveness in your life, you aren't just forgiven for the sin you've already committed in your past. Some of you, you can't even get past your past. You look at your past, you're like, there's no way God forgive me. No, God didn't just forgive you of your past. He's forgiven you of the sins you're committing right now. The things you're choosing to rebel against God right now. Oh yeah, he's already paid and forgiven you of the sins that you don't even know you're going to commit tomorrow in the next year and five years. Can I tell you today, church, you are forgiven. And let that freedom fill you up today. That he died on a cross and gave his life to forgive you. Can I ask you? Have you received that forgiveness? Have you let it wash you clean because you'll never get to a for, become a forgiving person until you've experienced that washing, that forgiveness of Jesus? 
Some of you right now, you're holding on to bitterness. You're holding on to anger. Or maybe some of us tomorrow or the next day or a year from now, right, when something happens to you and it hurts, right, when someone hurts you, they lie to you, they gossip about you, they say harsh words towards your kids or your spouse, they betray you, they hurt your kids. The next time something happens to you that causes pain in your life and you don't want to forgive that person, remember what Jesus did for you and what you did towards him. That while you were a sinner, he didn't retaliate towards you. That while you were a sinner, he didn't get you back. He doesn't keep a record of all your wrongs in a database just waiting to use it against you. Jesus forgave you by giving up his life for you. And because of that, church, because of that, we can forgive them. In our relationships today, when someone hurts us, we can forgive them because we hurt someone else and he forgave us. Can I tell you the truth today? Some of you think a lack of forgiveness is the only leverage you have over that person. It's the only way you can get back to them is just by not forgiving them. And can I tell you, you're not hurting that person. You're hurting yourself. Today, I want you to feel the hope, not the weight of this message. I want you to feel the hope. You can forgive. And today, if you've hurt somebody and you haven't been forgiven, I believe in Jesus' name that one day they will forgive you. And I want you to feel that hope. And the best way that we feel hope is we remember the cross. We remember the great cost of the cross to purchase our forgiveness. Through Jesus' blood that was broken, his body was broken, his blood that was shed for you and I. So here's what's gonna happen. Our, our band's gonna come and they're gonna lead us in a song. And as our band leads this song, here's what I encourage you to do. I'd encourage you to remain in your seat. And I would encourage you to evaluate your relationships right now. Where is there unforgiveness? Is there unforgiveness in your life? And maybe today, the Bible's very clear, if there is, maybe you should pass on communion today and, and allow the Spirit of God to, to move in your heart to say, hey, what steps do I need to take to find forgiveness in that relationship? Or maybe you're here today and you hear the forgiveness of God, but you haven't received it yet. Today, we can change that. You can change that today. In the, in the midst of this song, you can just cry out to God, God, forgive me of my sins and be the leader of my life. I believe in your cross and your resurrection. And today, I want to know you. And you can take communion for the first time as a follower of Christ, child of God. I'll leave you with these words. Psalms 130, it says this. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand but with you there is forgiveness. During this song, you do what you need to do.